This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Now you can get rich very young just by having an idea. I'm looking for durable competitive advantage. I'm looking for something that has a moat around it for a considerable period of time. And I'm looking for an, an honest and able management to run it because I don't know how to run it myself. Welcome to Get Started Investing, a podcast that will give you the confidence you need to start your investing journey. This is for anyone who wants to start investing but isn't really sure where to start. Our aim is to cover all of the basics and to make the markets accessible for you. My name is Bryce, and as always, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this second part of our three-part series We've plucked a member from the community and also an old friend, and we are going to get him into the stock market. That's right. We are tracking the journey of our community member and friend, Rohan, who is back in the studio with us. Rohi, great to have you here. Good to be here again. Thank you. I'm glad we didn't scare you away last episode. No, that's okay, but it uh, would have been great if you didn't make me pay for the beers this time. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's an off-mic conversation. <laughs> so the aim of this episode, as Ren alluded to, is to understand, Roey, what to invest in and how last episode we covered everything there was, sort of walked through the basics. You had a lot of questions to sort of get you off the ground. Hopefully we covered those. We gave you a bit of homework to go away and download the app that you were going to be using, which I think we determined was Comsec, and then also have a think about some of the stocks and particular ETFs and perhaps areas of interest that you want to invest in. So we're going to dig into that a little bit more. But for all the listeners out there, hopefully by the end of these three episodes, you too will be inspired to take your first step into the markets as we show you how easy it can be, particularly through things like the Comsec Pocket app. So let's get stuck in. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, we did a 12-part series on Get Started Investing, and but that was abstract. So now we're, we're really putting it into practice. And, and Rowie has kindly volunteered to be our guinea pig. And this is where the rubber hits the road, really. Yes. We've, we've answered all of his questions. Well, hopefully. We'll see if he's got any more. But by the end of this episode, we will have the world's first... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to say it, world's first live on podcast investment. Probably going to have to be corrected. I don't think we have the tech to do. Is that what's happening? <laughs> Is it what's happening? I mean, I've, I've, I've got the app good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He will, mean, he will put a trade in by the time we finish recording. My, my account is 20 bucks lighter after those beers. <laughs> but, uh... So, Roey, you have downloaded the Comsec Pocket app, but last episode we talked about, you know, there are many different options out there from microfinancing apps and also your sort of full-scale online brokers. Purely through convenience, I think, you know, you had a Commonwealth Bank account. Mm -hmm. And you just sort of thought this was the most, the easiest way for you to start your journey. Yep. Downloaded it. Any initial thoughts? Yeah. So it was pretty straightforward to download. The setup was pretty easy. I think at, at one point it just asks for your Commonwealth login details. Chuck Can you those give in. us those live on air? Uh, it is nine. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, had it pre-saved, unlike you, Bryce. <laughs> into Safari. So yeah, it was good to go. And now I've had a quick play with it, but um, held off from delving too deep because obviously as per the very strict instructions you gave me, we're going to do it here. I just want to jump in there and say what you've done, downloaded, how to play is something that Alec and I spoke about on the Get Started Investing series. A lot of people fall over at the hurdle of trying to pick the perfect broker from the get-go. Someone like yourself who probably spent hours and hours researching your 60-inch 4K monitor um, on a comparison website, <laughs> has jumped straight into this with probably much less sort of vigor than you would have done with an electronic purchase. And I think that's a good thing at the end of the day because the message is you don't have to choose 
the right thing from the start. Yeah. There's no lock-in contract with uh, brokerage. It's not like a gym membership where you, they sign you up for life. You can move at any time. And so what we like to say in our Facebook group when people ask about which broker to choose, and I'm pretty sure we would have said it on the Get Started Investing series as well, is... This is a don't let perfection be the enemy of the good situation. Your favourite saying? It is a, it's, it's up there in terms top three favourite saying for me. <laughs> but yeah, you can always change. There's no cost to change. Both Bryce and I have multiple brokers and that's just because over time we've found other ones that are more suitable for our needs at that time. And so for anyone out there who's stumped on that step, you know, what's the right broker to choose? Really, they all give you access to the same market. And so, well, you know, unless you're finding one that gives you access to the US market, but the majority of Australian brokerages will give you access to the Australian market. And that's all you need to start. You buy the same shares, you know, Commonwealth Bank share is a Commonwealth Bank share, regardless of which broker you buy it through. So, yeah, don't let perfection be the enemy of a good. I'm going to get that saying in again. And um, Rowie has embodied that by downloading an app and getting started. Absolutely. Now, we do have a bit of structure to this episode as always, but Ro, I thought it would be a good idea to start just by understanding, are there any burning questions that you've got with anything related to anything? We'll take note of them and try and answer them because I think the whole idea of you know the outcome of this is just to make sure that we're actually getting you into the market. So without going too deep, but any sort of major burning questions that we could sort of help with First and foremost, and I guess I'm sort of advertising my ignorance on this one, is I thought that the app could um, sort of would let you invest in particular shares uh, until I downloaded it and had a quick play. And it seems to be only ETFs, which is fine for the moment. But I guess when I want to graduate to that next step of uh, picking my own stocks, yeah, I'll probably need some guidance on where to from here. Easy. That's fine. That's an important question, and it kind of cuts against what I just said about you know every brokerage app giving you access to the same things. An important caveat there is what you've downloaded, Comsec Pocket, is known as like a micro-investing app, and there are really three in Australia that allow you to invest in smaller increments, so they give you more access to the market, but they're limited in what you can actually invest in. Outside of those three micro-investing apps, then all brokerages are essentially the same, and I think... For a lot of people and, you know, for you just getting started trying to figure out what the hell's going on, starting with a micro-investing app is a really good place to start because you don't have to put as much money in, the brokerage is lower and, you know, you're not paralyzed by choice of trying to do individual company research. But the drawback is, you're right, you can't actually buy a specific share in a specific company. But once you start, I reckon then it'll be a lot easier for you to understand what's going on, what functionality you want out of a broker, and then the decision on what broker to actually sign up with hopefully will be a bit easier. Hopefully. Any other questions? Yeah, so another one would be that uh, you buy these ETFs in units, and I'm also interested to know about what determines the per unit cost. I'm looking here, and firstly, I'm guessing they change, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, like on a daily basis sort yep. of sort of vibes. And secondly, why are some way more expensive than others? And is that an indication of the kind of return that you're to expect? So let's um, we will be getting into what is actually available and what you can invest in later in the episode. So I'll take note of those, and we can revisit them when it's a bit more appropriate in the episode. Um, but I think all very good questions that we'll definitely answer. Anything else? So I 
in my sort of very cursory research um, over the last week, I had a look at what stocks are sort of trending. And you know, aside from just the equity mates Instagram spamming me with a bunch <laughs> of different content, no, it's it's good, it's good. Uh, <laughs> aside from just that, and obviously Tesla's gone through the roof and all that, you've got to have your head in the sand to sort of not have yes. um, read about that. I noticed that some of the microchip companies were big players, as in like they had big movements. And I was kind of wondering why that would be. I didn't look into it any further because I thought it'd be good to sort of uh, bring it up here, but AMD in particular. And what was the other one? NVIDIA. So what's the deal? Why microchip processing companies are sort of taking off at the moment? Awesome. Well, that's a great segue. We asked what you wanted to invest in in the last episode. And Mm -hmm. I think your statement was whatever's going to make me the most paper. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. Which is fair. Uh, Combined with fickle investing as well, but the other question I had was, is there going to be a solid return on that? And interestingly True enough, ethical, yeah. uh, looking on the uh, Comsec app, the sustainability leaders ETF is the by far and away the cheapest one. So what's the deal there? Yeah, good question. And I think we should talk about price and what moves it and that sort of stuff later. But let's go back to what you've been thinking about investing in. Where have your thoughts sort of gone over the last sort of seven days or so when it comes to you know, you've spoken about particular stocks, ETFs, you're obviously well read, which we mentioned last week. What's your sort of thought process? Well, I guess right now with you know COVID playing big in the zeitgeist, how do we leverage that? Like where are the opportunities with COVID? I know Renners has um, been harping on about uh, the vial makers. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. What's, what's the deal there? Because I've also been reading that uh, they might not be able to manufacture enough, but I suppose at one point supply will catch up. So aside from these vial makers, where are the other opportunities? Like obviously there's going to be those biotech companies that are actually making the vaccines. Mm-hmm. Can you invest in most of them? Because a lot of them are like universities and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't think you can buy like shares in Oxford. Or maybe you can, I don't know. That's a good question. And we will come back to your microchip question as yeah. well. In terms of investing in... COVID, I, I think there's probably a number of ways to play with but not I think, investing in COVID. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not pro-COVID here. <laughs> true, true. That is a good clarification. I think the first way is you can invest in vaccine manufacturers, but you're right. Like, you know, how do you invest in Oxford University? But what you'll find is a lot of the university studies and a lot of the like non-profit and government funded studies are in partnership with industry. And a lot of the time that's just because industry has the balance sheet to really fund a lot of that research. So the Oxford study is yeah, obviously being done by Oxford Uni, but it's actually in partnership with a biotech company, AstraZeneca. And that big pharma- fan. Yeah. Big fan. <laughs> One of top top three pharmaceutical company for you. Yep. They're a company that's traded on the London Stock Exchange. And so if the Oxford vaccine is the vaccine that is commercialized and scaled first, Oxford may have done the research, but AstraZeneca is a way that an investor can benefit from that partnership. The first way is you invest in the vaccine. I think that's probably the lowest probability way of doing it. Higher probability ways of doing it are asking like, what are the associated industries that will benefit from the trends that are emerging out of COVID? So like Zoom, the video telecommunications, you know, you, you know everyone knows Zoom at this yes. point. Uh, it has just had a crazy year. Its share price just topped 500 bucks a share, started the year around the 60 mark. So it's, you know, up, you know, 600 something percent for the year like it is killing it so you know that's one there's a whole bunch of other trends that are accelerating so you know the move to online retail so you might look at some of bryce's favorite stocks that are doing well in the online space or you know your amazons and stuff of the world so can i just ask obviously like jb hi-fi 
was going really well as well. If you want to invest in whatever that company was, one of my favorite biotech companies <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and JB Hi-Fi and Zoom, they're obviously not going to be in the one ETF unless there's someone's right. jumped on a COVID ETF. Hey, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that would come then down to investing in those companies separately because JB would be probably in the retail or the tech. Yeah, yeah. There would be one index where all three of those companies probably sit, but there's like an all-world index. I would assume that all three are big enough that they fit in that. But that's 8,000 companies. Those three companies aren't going to move that index materially. They might have my other favorite biotech companies. <laughs> yeah, they, I'm going to say they well. probably will. So yeah, you're probably looking at multiple ETFs or, you know, if you've got a high conviction on those three particular companies, You'd buy those stocks individually. Oh, I've got a high conviction on one or two others. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to take it back to sort of the basics here because what you've done, Roy, is exactly what we kind of try and talk about, which is to use what's going on in your environment and what you know as the basis for trying to figure out what is there available in your investing universe. A lot of people often struggle and think about trying to get into stock screeners and that sort of stuff, which I'm assuming you haven't done at all. Don't know what it is. Fair call. And um, you've you've essentially just kind of thought, well, what is trending or what is going on in our in the economy at the moment and how can I somewhat take advantage of that? So I think that's a good call. Just an FYI, did you know that you can invest in Manchester United? I did know that, yes. Yeah. Um, and... As much as I love my beloved boys, not convinced on the investment <laughs> front. Yeah, well, since their peak back at the end of 2018, the stocks, oh, it's only down 43%. That's less than their positions on the ladder. So, <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, is there a bleep button on this thing? Or? Anyway, we'll digress. So outside of COVID... The bombers there- suck. <laughs> outside of COVID, are there any other... You know, you mentioned the microchips, stocks, NVIDIA. How did you actually like come across them? Just a bit of Googling. Uh, you Google? I think it's pronounced NVIDIA. 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 Yeah. What did I say? NVIDIA. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is it also AMD? <laughs> Googling what though? I can't actually remember the exact phrase, but knowing me it would probably be something like interesting stocks 2020 or... Um, oh, okay. So yeah. you're actually just looking for some inspiration. Yep. Yeah, nice. Yep. I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. To answer your question, well, first of all, some of these microchip stocks are extremely volatile. So they move a lot day to day. There's a few big trends and there's also a few particular events. NVIDIA acquired a company recently, so potentially that's why they shot up and that's why you saw them. Taiwan Semiconductor, AMD, NVIDIA are sort of taking the industry by storm and Intel is really suffering as a result. Like a lot of the traditional microchip players are are hurting because the way that microchips are produced and stuff has changed. Taiwan Semiconductor is changing the industry. So I think there's probably just some bigger macro trends playing out and that's why those stocks are particularly hot right now but like if you look at some of their share prices they've actually dipped a fair bit recently like in the last couple of weeks just because they are quite volatile their prices move a fair bit so speaking of the COVID play i mean we might start with that one and your comment around is there an etf COVID etf there is an etf called the iShares global healthcare etf it is available on comsec pocket i think they've called it healthwise or something like that it actually gives you exposure to a hundred companies in global healthcare, biotech, pharmaceuticals, and medical equipment. And if you go in and look at the top holdings, Johnson and Johnson number one holding. Well, they're in the race for yeah. the COVID vaccine. United Health. There's a whole bunch of others in there. Pfizer that are all sort of 
indirectly in some way related to what's going on at the moment. So it's actually not a bad play to sort of think about that sort of exposure. So yeah, something to consider. Just just quickly going back to the uh, NVIDIA, as you called it, <laughs> I'm having a look now and under the sustainability leaders ETF, interestingly, the top companies for it are Apple, NVIDIA and MasterCard. How does that play into sustainability? Like, is it just that they're... they're Internal go yeah, green policies. Uh, yeah, this is. <laughs> um, no, it's a really good cool. question, and it, it, it's a. Oh, I've got a cup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sustainability. It's a really like a beauty is in the eye of the beholder situation. Like one person's sustainable is another person's unsustainable. There's a number of different sort of I guess screens or ways that these ETF providers and index providers come up with sustainability. So. Some are, and I would assume, or actually, I'm not sure about those three companies, but some are like negative screens. So they basically say, we don't want to be in gambling, alcohol, tobacco, fossil fuels, weapons manufacturing. And if you're not in those industries, then you're sustainable. So it's like a negative screen. They just exclude certain industries. Is there like a uh, supervillain ETF that does have all those things? <laughs> Probably, yeah. I'm sure there would be. I'm not sure how well it would do because the thing is sustainable companies generally have performed better. So maybe not the best investment. But then there's other ways that they screen. There might be a sustainable one, but it's the screen is like environmental sustainability. And so they're like, if they're, you know, MasterCard, NVIDIA and stuff like that are procuring renewable energy and you know got a whole bunch of commitments in that space then it's like all right well they're sustainable alternatively it could be like if they're outperforming their industry so like if nvidia is more sustainable than amd and taiwan semiconductor and intel then it's like okay well they're the best in the class but generally what you find is that the the sustainability world is bigger than you would expect. So in this specific situation, Rowie, this ETF is the ETHI, which is a beta shares global sustainability. And the portfolio is made up of large global stocks identified as climate leaders that have passed screens to exclude companies with direct or significant exposure to fossil fuels or engaged in activities deemed inconsistent with responsible investment considerations. So that's like in their line of business, they're making the right choices, not that those companies themselves don't invest in. Oh, man, you could really send me off on a rant here. Um, <laughs> Let's not so, go too deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like a classic question in sustainable investing is ExxonMobil, I think their R&D budget over the last X number of years was like $3 billion, and that was for you know, oil and gas exploration. And cleaning them up. <laughs> and, and what? Cleaning them up. Oh, yeah, yes. And like, they're obviously unsustainable because they're an oil and gas company. JP Morgan, on the other hand, in that same period, you know, they invested, you know, tens or hundreds of billions of dollars in funding companies that were investing in oil and gas exploration projects. But at the same time, that is a tiny proportion of the total amount of money that they've lended. So on an absolute basis... They're investing more in the fossil fuel exploration industry than uh, Exxon, but on a relative basis, it's a tiny proportion of their book. Which one's more sustainable? Which one's less sustainable? So there's a number of fraught questions around sustainability that different index providers will answer differently. And so the most important thing if people want to invest sustainably is to dig under the surface and actually look at what the ETF holds and then decide if that aligns with your values. See, this is really interesting to me because I'm looking at more of the stocks under the Sustainability Leaders ETF. And yeah, it's like, um, obviously Tesla's in there, but it's Visa, PayPal, Netflix, Toyota. I would not have thought 
unless I'd obviously clicked in and done a little bit more homework, that those stocks would be under the sustainability leaders category. I would have thought it'd be like, I don't know, a company that's investing in like converting oil to fuel or converting like, um, uh, what is it? The biodiesel mm. uh, fuel thing or yeah, like a yeah, solar yeah. Uh, a solar plant yeah, manufacturer, like wind farms, wind farms like all yeah. those ones. Yeah. The universe becomes a lot smaller if, if you're that tight on sustainability. And that's why I was asking him last week's episode, as much as I would like to, would it necessarily be a good investment? Because I can't really see those things in the short term being as profitable as the Teslas and the Apples of the world. Yeah. But this yeah. inspires me with a bit more confidence because I know that these guys, these guys know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go too far down the sustainability rabbit hole, but I'm going to ask one question to Roey just to get his thoughts. So AGL is a big Australian energy company, owns a lot of you know fossil fuel, like coal-fired power stations and stuff like that. But at the same time is one of Australia's biggest investors in renewable energy generation, sustainable or unsustainable? I guess if there was some sort of metric, which I'm sure there is, um, to determine whether the good that they perform is better than the, uh, I don't want to get sued by these guys, but <laughs> the not good, yeah. then that would be it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no good answer to a lot of these questions. So it just that again, it's why you got to scratch under the surface. So it's a good question you ask. Like yeah. for example, a company that I'm quite familiar with that will go unnamed is a massive emitter of pollution, basically. Yeah. Um, but that's just the way that their business operates. Like there's no other way around. That's highly vague, but I guess the way you can make it a bit clearer is they run a lot of transport services, but they're services that are essential. Yes, yeah. yes. But they also purchase a whole bunch of carbon offsets. Yeah. So I suppose that sort of negates it. If the industry that you're in, there's no other way around doing what you do other than creating emissions, mm. I guess the only other way, and you had a go at me about this too, <laughs> um, is to offset it. So what's the difference? Yeah. So I think let's not get too bogged down in the sustainability conversation. We have done sustainable industry deep dives before, so I think people can go back and listen to them. The main thing is it sounds like the sustainability is on the watch list or the short list. It is. It is on the on the watch list. Nice. It would be good to move towards making a decision, but I guess before we, we really get down into those details, is there any other things that you've sort of thought about or any companies that have caught your fancy or you know any other industries or trends that you're interested in investing in? Yeah, so another one is, as we spoke about in the pod last week, try invest in like what you know. Mm -hmm. And maybe this isn't one for, well, maybe it might be captured in one of these ETFs, but the airline and travel industry has been taking a serious hit at the moment. Mm. But I like to think, well, I hope that it's not going to be like this forever. So would it represent value to get in now while they're sort of suffering with a long-term play, knowing that in the next few months or even the next couple of years, it's not going to bounce back? But if you look at it 10 years down the road, you actually got it at a very good price. So in a nutshell, yeah, potentially. It's good thinking. It mm. is good thinking. You My question would be, how do you know who's going to come out yeah, in the next three yeah. years? Is it going to be a virgin that collapses or is it going to be someone that actually can survive? Well, that's a two-pronged sort of question because one would be on the assumption that I'm investing in individual companies. So I obviously probably would not want to do that because I don't want to be investing in the ANSET of the future. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I would probably be leaning towards investing in an ETF that encapsulates those things because there are people whose jobs are to know what has a fighting chance of coming out of this thing alive and what probably doesn't. Now, th that's an important thing there where you've just said it's people's jobs to know. The important thing to know about ETFs is 
they're not actively managed. So it's not like there's a fund manager just saying like, you know, this company's going to do poorly, so we're going to exclude them, and this company's going to do really well, so we'll put more money into them. Who's picking the, the, so the companies let's, that go in the stock? Let's use an example that would include a lot of travel-related industries. So in Comsec Pocket, there's an Aussie Top 200, which tracks the 200 biggest Australian stocks. In that would be Qantas, Flight Centre, and a bunch of other travel-related companies. But by virtue of the fact that they're in the 200 biggest companies, they're going to be in that ETF regardless of what their future prospects are. They're just in there by virtue of their size. So that's the important thing with ETFs. And over the long term, active management actually historically doesn't really outperform large companies, just an an index. But yeah, it's not like someone's picking and choosing there. But that's half the idea of an ETF is that you get the overall movement of everything that fits within that sort of wrapping. Otherwise, you're best putting your money with someone who is going to actively manage and try and pick winners. Even the sustainability one, for example, they would have run a screen that says these are the top 100 stocks that match our criteria. But then they wouldn't go in and say, well, actually, we don't actually think that that's going to perform well. They'll just say these are the top 100. And regardless of their movement, we're just going to track the aggregate movement of all hundred stocks so yeah you're betting on the trend or the market like the aussie top 200 you're betting on the australian market doing well or like the health atf you're saying that the health industry as a whole is going to do well and in every atf there'll be stocks that do better and stocks that do worse but you're betting on it in aggregate i find it interesting that micro investing does sort of afford you the opportunity to do that i don't know why but i would have thought that to get into ETFs and stuff, it would be a higher cost of entry. Micro-investing, I sort of had in my mind on the same wavelength as penny stocks. Like I would think like Jordan Belfort. There's just like, yeah, if, if, nah, you, if nah, you're nah. going to invest under a grand, what's the point? You're going to end up with something pretty, how you going? Yeah. No, <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's really the beauty of ETFs and what they've done for the market. It's that they've made accessing large companies and a large group of companies so accessible, both in terms of cost, like the fees are so much lower than getting someone to actively manage it and also the, the initial amount you have to put in. You know, you don't have to go out and buy 200 individual stocks. You can just buy it in one trade and then that's the third thing. It's just in one trade rather than, you know, multiple trades. So, yeah, that, that's the beauty of ETFs. They've really changed the game for retail investors like us. Yeah, the, the lack of effort that I've had to put in to do this pretty much next to nothing I think is, is a pretty great way to... Dip your toe in the water. Yeah, definitely. For your interest, there is an ETF that follows the airline industry. It's called US. Uh, it's called Jets. Classic J E T S. Is it an acronym? Nope. That's it. Can, we, can we make one up for it? <laughs> <laughs> sure, go for it. <laughs> um, and it provides investors access to the global airline industry, including airline operators and manufacturers from all over the world. But they're not going to pick and choose. It's just you're going to get that. So if you're backing in that globally the airline industries are going to recover that might be one worth looking at i don't think it's available through your platform at the moment but no and it's lost half of its value in 2020 so well that that was what i was saying sense, like yeah. it was it, it's really cheap now mm. but it could bounce back globally i think yes eventually when you said it was a us company us airlines for me is going to be a no for me darling. So, <laughs> so that's that's an important distinction so it's a us based atf so you buy it on the us exchange but it holds global companies. So similar yeah. to this healthcare one that's in the Comsec Pocket or app. Or sustainability. Or sustainability holds in Apple. the Comsec Pocket app. They're, they're based in Australia. So you buy them on the Australian exchange. You buy them through an Australian app like Comsec Pocket. 
but they don't just hold Australian stocks. They give you exposure to, you know, the global healthcare industry or the most sustainable companies globally. On the US market, just um, maybe as a note for another point we can come back to, what's the deal with buying them and how much of a hit do you take in currency conversion and things like that? Because I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't have bulk USD sitting around in a bank account. No. Somewhere. You don't? <laughs> I said not bulk. So it depends Bryce. on what your interpretation of bulk is. Bryce has four different bank accounts, each with a oh, different must currency. Be very, very <laughs> nice. No, so this is a this is a great point. All of the ETFs that you're going to buy through Comsec Pocket, they are all bought through the Australian Stock Exchange and domiciled here in most instances, meaning that the operators are here in Australia and it's going to be in Australian dollars. How does that work when one of the ETFs is Global 100, the other one is Emerging Markets, talking about China, Taiwan, Korea, India and more? Yeah, so let's take the Global 100, for example. So iShares is the operator of that. What they do is you're essentially buying into the iShares ETF what they then do is go out and individually buy all those stocks and bring them into and wrap them up and you're buying a share of that whole pool. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So that's how you get international exposure literally through the Australian Stock so Exchange. you're buying the basket based in Australia. Yes. And they're getting the items from all over the shop. Yeah. This guy gets yeah. it. And then they take on the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, we won't go too far down this path, but for this one in particular, the iShares Global 100, they take out all the currency fluctuations. So to your point about units, ETF units... Mm -hmm. And let's take the global 100 as it stands and at the time of recording. $77.24. So one share of that whole basket is worth $77.24. As that basket, it's almost like um, CPI really, mm -hmm. as that basket moves in price by virtue of each of those stocks moving up and down, moving up and down, the aggregate price movement, it then translates to a change in price of the unit price. Okay. That's essentially where you make your money. I still don't understand though why some units are more expensive than so, others. Without going into too much detail, but really what happens is when a provider such as BetaShares or iShares, any of these providers who go out and create the basket, they arbitrarily just say, all right, we're going to start this ETF at 10 bucks. It doesn't matter what price they start. And then from that point, the movement in the basket of stocks then from that point changes the price of the ETF. So if one provider decides to start theirs at 50, the other starts at 10, you, you're going to have differences in ETF prices. Don't use that as a way to judge ETFs against each other though, because that is completely the wrong way to look at it. Okay. Yeah. Just because one is $9 and one is $90, it has nothing to do with the relationship between each other. So to answer my earlier question, it's no indication of the kind of return that you'd be... No, absolutely no. no. If you think about it this way, if you put 50 bucks into the ETF that is $9 and 50 bucks into the ETF that is $90 and they both go up 10%, you're going to make the exact same amount of money. Okay, but can you put 50 bucks into an ETF that's worth $90? You yes. can't buy five-ninths of one, can so you? So through technology and through apps like Comsec Pocket and other, other micro-investing apps out there, this is one of the beauty of these sorts of things is it does allow you to do minimum of 50. So what it'll do is it'll say, all right, that unit's 90, so we'll give you... 50 bucks worth of one unit. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's a good question around price. So that's how the price moves. 
don't necessarily worry about the actual price of the ETF. I'd be looking at more what is in the ETF yep. and what is going to drive the performance of those stocks. 10 units worth of a $9 ETF could be more lucrative than one ninety dollar Let's say they're exactly the same ETF. You know, they're both tracking the ASX 200, both have, you know, the same management fee, both blah, blah, everything's the same. If you buy 10 units of a $9 one or one unit of the $90 one, what you're actually doing is buying exactly the same thing because all they're doing is they're taking your money and spreading it across all the companies in that ETF. As Bryce was saying, as it moves, it just tracks it from there. So really, if you're buying exactly the same ETF but the unit price is different, it should really be the same. So in terms of your question around wanting to make the paper and what's, <laughs> and what's going to outperform, you really need to be thinking, and you obviously already are, what is the underlying holdings of those ETFs? And what is going to be the macro events or the macro pressures that actually change the price of those shares? And you can see the percentage of holdings. Like there's a couple in here where, you know, Apple and Microsoft and uh, the sort of the make up the top 10, 15%. Well, obviously the price movement of those shares are going to have the most impact on the price of the ETF. That sort of brings me on to another question. And I mean, I don't want to be driving this thing. No, no, but- no. The whole point of this is for you to drive it. So you were talking about the sort of the macro pressures that influence the share price movement. On that note, another one that I sort of have a bit of interest in is how will the emerging markets and specifically the emerging markets ETF be affected by what's going on with COVID? I guess that also then would come down to what is held in those ETFs. I'm looking at yeah, it now. 100%. Alibaba, Tencent, Taiwan Semiconductors, a bunch of people I don't know, Reliance. Yeah, it's an interesting one because emerging markets, you know, you're thinking sort of the Argentinas of the world and those sorts of things. You look at number one holdings, Alibaba. I wouldn't be thinking Argentina at all. Is oh, what you is be there, thinking? Is their economy going well at the moment? I don't think I so. Call it frontier <laughs> investing. Hey, it doesn't mean that the economy is going well. It's about the size of the company still. So yeah. basically, the and emerging size does matter. Size does matter <laughs> in investing. Yes. So yeah, the the emerging market ETFs are always an interesting one for that that exact reason. It's like what countries count as emerging then leads to what companies are in there. Obviously, if China is included as an emerging market, then it dominates the index. Reliance is Indian, and they're obviously a massive company, and so they will be a big part of a lot of emerging market ETFs. But yeah, China is the one that will really determine what's in there. And if China's in there, you're not really getting exposure to like emerging markets as you would probably think of them, you know, like the the BRIC countries, you know, the Brazil, Russia's, India's, oh, well, China's in BRIC, but you know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, I do know what you mean, which is also why I'm surprised that Samsung's been thrown in here because South Korea, to my mind, has emerged. Yes. <laughs> it, it has well and truly yeah, emerged. Yeah. So I would be surprised that you're throwing that in there. You could basically rename it like non-Western okay. ETF. And so, yeah, again, similar to sustainability, it's an important one to look under the wrapper and see what companies are being held. But hey, like if you're getting exposure to Alibaba, Tencent, Reliant and Samsung and Taiwan Semiconductor, that's not a bad basket of stocks to be holding at the moment. <laughs> it's not, it's not. But I guess the second part of my question would be, how will they be affected by COVID? And yes, it comes down to what's in those baskets. But more broadly, taking aside those baskets of the ETF at the moment, do you see them, I guess they're taking a hit at the moment if you look at like what's going on in India, but do you see them bouncing back? Well, I mean, this is a this is a deep question. Like COVID is a... Is a 
interesting question given how stock markets have performed recently. Like you would say America has probably been top five countries in terms of worst handling of COVID. Many would say number one. Yeah, I mean... Brazil and India not running. Great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, wherever you'd place it, it has not performed well, but its stock market has performed really well. When you're thinking about how individual companies are affected by COVID, you first of all have to think about firstly, these are the biggest companies with the strongest balance sheets. Like, if any company is going to survive, it's generally these big publicly traded companies because they have so much cash. They're generally quite profitable and they have the ability to raise more money quite easily compared to their smaller competitors. So the number one thing is like you can't just look at a country and say they've done well or poorly. It's how these individual companies are faring. And then the second thing is sometimes how the actual company is faring and how their stock price is faring are quite different. So it's a deep question that requires a fair bit of study, I think, if you're going to go through an ETF and think about how they're affected by COVID. The way I would approach it, investing for the long term is by far and away the most important thing you can do. You're going to hold these units well beyond COVID. And so whilst there might be some short-term disruptions in some of these companies or some other companies in some other ETFs you hold, I would be thinking more, what's Alibaba, Tencent, Taiwan Semiconductor going to look 15 years from now, 25 years from now, and base your thesis on that? And, you know, how are these are these markets going to emerge? And what, you know, what's going to happen to, is there going to be an emergent middle class with a lot of spending power that supports these companies? You know, companies like Alibaba and Tencent will benefit from that in China. Will they change an industry like Taiwan Semiconductor? Will they become massive global exporters like Samsung? You probably want to think more long-term than that because the COVID question is a really good question. It's a really hard one to answer and you're going to hold these things beyond COVID. Okay. Yeah. That didn't really answer your question, but hopefully the deflection made sense. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Roy, I just want to circle back on the currency thing. I'm just having a, a squeeze through the app and it does say at the bottom of the info if it is exposed to currency outside of Australia or not. So okay. that is something to take into consideration, but I wouldn't necessarily worry about that. And would you also need to think about how you think that that currency is going to perform? That's sort of like an experienced investor thing for, you know, for us, it's not necessarily a major consideration to worry about, to be honest because then you've got to start playing the currency game and there's more and more forces that come into it. Don't let that put you off. And Call yeah. me Forex Rowie. <laughs> <laughs> and not because I like the beers. <laughs> so let's just kind of recap here. And I think, it's been, I think it's been great conversation. You know, you've obviously put a lot of thought into it, but I, I hope that what has come across is that you've really not necessarily done any technical analysis or worried about charts or worried about sort of the fundamentals of business, worried about valuing stocks. And I think the main message that we try and get across is you don't need to worry about all of that sort of stuff when when you are just starting to dip your toes in the water. So that's probably the, the real yeah. key message here and something that we try and get across. So Ren did promise a live investment at the start of the yeah. episode. Now, and we, we don't, don't want to <laughs> we don't want to force Rowie into anything. Do you have a few in mind and you're happy to narrow it down to one and, and make a decision? Yeah. So this sustainability leaders one has got me more inspired than what I was previously. Because I was thinking, yeah, I can't really see wind turbines. And wind, solar wind turbines doing well. really uh, fueling a profit, <laughs> uh, <laughs> generating a profit, <laughs> even. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I really back some of the companies in there. The sustainability leaders one would be one that interests me. Emerging markets as well, and probably global one hundred. I don't know why, but I'm just not that interested in. Well, not not interested, but less interested in the Aussie top 200 and the Aussie dividends ones. Yeah, yeah fair yeah. call. 
Yeah. I'm surprised you didn't go tech savvy. I would have thought you'd be all over the tech companies. Yeah, but the thing is that they're largely thrown into some of the others as well. Yeah, yeah, good observation. Great yeah. point. And that's something you should definitely consider when you're looking at these is called ETF overlap. You might buy the tech savvy and then the sustainability leaders and find that the top five companies might be very similar, if not exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, I mean, in, I would I would hazard a guess that the Global 100 and the Tech Savvy, the top five, probably are the same. Yeah, yeah. so in which case, you're kind of just doubling down on the same thing. So it's all about diversification, boys. Exactly. Oh, yeah, this guy gets it. <laughs> Sustainability, is that what we're going with? Sustainability, Renners, is a throwback to what you're passionate about or yeah. used to be passionate about. <laughs> still passionate. Yeah, still passionate. Just not paid to be passionate about it anymore. Okay, fair enough. Um, <laughs> Uh, sustainability and probably I'm tossing it between global 100 and emerging. You know what? Let's yellow it. Let's just do all three. Oh, nice. wow. Well, not only are we going to get the first After live we investment, just spoke about overlap. we might get the first three-pronged live investment. <laughs> go, go harder, go home. All right, Roe, you put that trade in. Because Dead Air isn't great content, we'll wrap this episode. You tell us once it's done and uh, how it was. Great. As I said before, the main sort of takeaways from this for me, Ren, were that you don't need to know the ins and outs of all the companies that you're going to be investing in to actually make your first step. There are a number of apps out there that make it incredibly easy. And then taking the next step, ETFs on top of that just make it even so much easier. Take the confusion out of or that sort of paralyzing feeling of trying to pick one company over another. Rowie's obviously pretty keen here to get into some of the tech stocks and some of those big microchip microchip stocks and obviously he's found an ETF that tickles his fancy. So yeah. I've um, just done it. Oh, he's oh, done wow. it. Yeah, we couldn't even wrap by the time he's done it. There you go. How did you find it? Very easy. I have a couple of questions. We're going to do a third episode. We'll let you sizzle on this first investment and then we will sort of recap and then uh, I guess we'll have a conversation about you know how you found it and wh- where you're going to go from here. So save your questions for the next episode. This was a good conversation and hopefully people listening take away that they actually know far more than they think. Mm. You know, like Rowie, someone who's just interested in the news and you know observant about what's going on in the world, COVID, technology stocks, all that stuff. You can start forming a thesis just with what you know already and. There's a pretty famous investor, well, one of the most famous investors, Peter Lynch, who wrote a book, One Up on Wall Street, that's worth reading. And he sort of spoke about just investing in what you know. And, you know, we have this great ability as just consumers in the world to actually have great information flow. Like if all of our friends are buying Nike shoes, we know that, you know, Nike as a stock is in demand and is doing pretty well. And, you know, if all of our friends are moving from instagram to tiktok then like we know what's happening in that no one's doing that our (laughs) friends aren't you're the only one (laughs) and so i think this whole conversation has just been a reminder of that for me that we actually have great information just from living in the world and using a lot of the products that these companies that we want to invest in produce and you can form a thesis off that and you can start investing off that Absolutely. So, Roe, thank you for episode two of uh, getting you started investing. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Or fun as always. Thank you very much. I just did a second one as well. well oh wow! wow. <laughs> this guy's going to be a big investor. I can feel it. <laughs> so, Roe has certainly shown that it is possible to start small with Comsec Pocket. You can download Comsec Pocket in the App Store or Play Store and absolutely get started today. Looking forward to the next episode where we're going to touch on portfolio construction, how to manage things from here, and what's next for Rowie's investing journey. Thank you very much, guys. Hopefully, beers are on you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Get Started Investing, a production of Equinates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Get Started Investing is general advice only. 
The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances or goals. The hosts of Get Started Investing may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.